Good morning. The scripture passage for today is found in Romans 8, verses 5 through 11. Romans 8, verses 5 through 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, I'm so happy to be here to open Romans 8 to you today. I hope you're glad to be here as well. What a great chapter and a great section that we're in. As you leave today, I also want you to notice that in the wall, on the wall where normally our missions display is, is a series of pieces of art. A number of months ago, I asked some artists in our church if they would take the heart of Romans 8 as expressed through their own life and put that on a canvas and paint something to demonstrate how they are seeing this text. So I want you, as you leave today, they just spend some time and consider both the beauty and the message that's implicit in uh, that gift to us as a congregation in that art. All right, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we come today to this passage wanting and needing your help to see things here that are given to us by the Holy Spirit and through the context of the inspired word is a great gift and yet the distractions of our minds, the remnants of the flesh, and any number of things could distract us today from what you want to say. So we ask you now, Holy Spirit, to come and open our minds and hearts to what it is that you want to say to us by your word for this moment in time. And so we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. When we lived in western Michigan... A friend of mine who was also a leader in our church and the executive director of a rescue mission in our city, he and I were talking about how challenging it is to try and help people change and frankly how disappointing it is that sometimes when people say they want to change, they don't actually change. And then he made a statement or he, he quoted a quotation that I've never forgotten. It went like this. A man convinced against his will is of the same persuasion still. Say that again. A man convinced against his will is of the same persuasion 
still. Do you understand what he's saying in that? If you're a parent or a coach or a personal trainer, um, if you're a leader or a boss, you're a teacher, you understand what this means. It means that a person may modify their behavior for a little while. They may change their conduct on the outside. But unless something changes on the inside, unless the will is bent in a different manner, or unless the heart is set in a different direction, any change that happens is not really going to be lasting. The reality is, unless something doesn't happen in the orientation of the mind, the actions are are never going to really change. Maybe you can think of it this way. Sometimes maybe you've said it before about somebody when they don't change. You just say, they don't get it. And what do you mean by that? You mean more than just their actions haven't changed. You mean that something inside of them hasn't clicked. They're not making the connection that's going to result in long-lasting change. Now, how does that relate to Romans 8? Here's how. There is a connection between no condemnation and the Holy Spirit, and it relates to a categorical or conditional change that has happened to those who are in Christ such that the will, the mind, the heart has been eternally affected. In other words, the beauty of conversion, the beauty of the gospel, is not just that it modifies our behavior. The real beauty is that it has reached to the depths of who we are such that we are fundamentally different people with new desires and new longings and and new yearnings within us that God has changed something so deep in us that we couldn't get to, but he got there, and when he got there, he changed everything. What happens is that God changes not just our conduct. Listen, he actually changes our condition. And central to that change of condition is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. If you've received Christ, you know what I'm talking about. You don't know it in the fullest extent. In fact, you'd probably love to see this happen more in your life. And one of the tensions, as we talk about Romans 8 and the work of the Spirit, is why can't this happen more completely in my life? That's a great question. And what I want you leaving with today is a new passion to follow hard after and to have the Holy Spirit involved in the work of the Spirit of Christ within you. This is what we pray for people who we love who are destroying their lives. We we pray things like, God, would you open their eyes? What are we praying in that? Would you change their mind? What What are we praying? We're praying that God would invade their hearts. On Tuesday this week, our staff had a, a prayer summit from the morning hours for about two and a half hours. And as we prayed for needs within our own um, staff, families, and surrounding families, it was just stunning the, the amount of groaning over uh, siblings or parents whose eyes are not opened to the beauty of the gospel and the effect of that on their lives. And so when we pray, we're we're praying, God, would you bend the will? Would you open their eyes? Would you reorient the heart? Now, last week we were in the first few verses of Romans chapter 8 at the summit, and we talked about the logic and the beauty of no condemnation. And I hope that last week you began to see that no condemnation is more than just a statement. It's more than a theological category that no condemnation is a condition. It's a, it's a reality of who you are in Christ. 
And in verse 4, Paul linked the idea of no condemnation with the idea of walking in the Spirit. Verse 4 talks about the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us. That's essentially what it means to have no condemnation over us. And then to describe those of whom this law-fulfilling requirement is in fact true, he describes them as those who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Since last week, a number of you have asked me or some of our staff, so what does it really mean to walk in the Spirit? And that's a great question, and I'm going to do my best to answer it today, but I might not answer it in the way that you'd want. Because many people, in fact, I would argue most of you, when you ask that question, what you want me to give you is a list. Do these things, and that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And I'm going to suggest to you today that walking in the Spirit involves the things on those lists, but there's something even more important underneath the list. Things that relate to a new condition, a new mindset, a new empowerment. And my my hope is that when you leave here today, that you'll be motivated to discover more fully what it means to walk in the Spirit. If you leave here and you're like, oh, I got this, then you don't got it. (laughs) If you leave here going, man, I got some things to think about. That's what my hope and my prayer is for this text today. Maybe an an illustration will help you understand, I think, how I see this in this passage in terms of what it means to walk in the Spirit. Imagine that a a man were were to approach me and say to me, Mark, what does it mean? What does it mean for you to love your wife? And he wants to know this because he's married. And and so I give him an answer, something like, well, it it means a lot of things. It means that I love her as Christ has loved the church. It means that I take care of her, that I provide for her, that I express my love to her. It means I do things practically like I I, um, I bring her flowers, I wash the dishes, I I rub her feet. He's like, wait, 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 wait wait a second, wait a second. You wash the dishes? I'm like, yeah. Like, how often? How often does does it mean that you love your wife? Do you do it every other day? Do you do it every day? Do you do breakfast? Do you you wash breakfast dishes? Do you you wash evening dishes? Do do, do you scrub them before you put them in the dishwasher? And then do you take them out too? By this point, I'm thinking, bro, you just got to love your wife. I mean, is it really to that level that you want to know? See, that's my fear is that's what some of us want when we hear the words walk in the Spirit. We're like, so, so how many times do I have to read my Bible? Like the whole Bible, the Bible reading plan, memorize? What, what, what exactly does that look like? And I think when we do that, we end up taking away the mystery of the beauty of what God intends when he says walk in the Spirit. I think there's, there's language that's here that isn't overly specific because there's something beyond just a series of actions. And I think what's in view here is that walking in the Spirit is less about a list and it's more about a vision. That Christianity essentially is a life lived in the Spirit. And I want to show you what that looks like and how Paul explains that to us. There's two things I want you to see. First, the contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. And then secondly, the centrality of the Spirit. So the first section is candidly dark. And then the second section gives us hope. So hang on when it gets dark. So first, we see the contrast of the flesh and the Spirit. 
When Paul says things like this, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And then verse 6 when he says, to set the mind on the flesh is death. Immediately when you hear that, you might think, well, Paul is telling us, set your mind on the right things. You might think that in this text, Paul is calling us to actions of obedience. Now, obedience and setting our minds on the right things are certainly part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But that's not what he's doing here. Instead, what he's talking about in this contrast between the flesh and the spirit is first a contrast between the mindset of those who are in the flesh and the mindset of those who are in the spirit. It's not just about thinking. Thinking is the expression of a mindset. It is the heart. It is the orientation of the soul. It is a ontological reality, a being issue. So when Paul says those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, he's simply stating that those who live by the flesh, they have a fleshly mindset. It doesn't mean just that they think fleshly things. No, no, it's far worse than that. The things they think about are awful, but that's not the essence of the problem. There's a problem underneath the problem, and the problem is that their minds are set towards fleshly things, that they're driven in their will and their desire and their longings, that they can take really good things and make really good things awful things because at the end of the day, their mind is set towards doing that because they have a mind that is set on the flesh. You see the difference? The problem is not just what we think. The problem, friends, is who we are, according to Romans 8. Now, that's the mindset of the flesh, or to say it in the other way, the beauty of this text is not just that we think different thoughts, but it's that we think different thoughts because we are different people. Now, we use this language often. If uh, your son or daughter does something really dumb, you might not just say, what were you doing? You'll say something like, what were you thinking, right? Because we know that more than actions, there's a thought process behind them in terms of what they are doing. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul talks about the mind in a similar fashion. He says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's a conditional reality. That's who they are. Or in Romans chapter 3, it says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. The problem is not just the actions. The problem is their being. It's the essence of who they are. So the tragedy of a person outside of Christ is that his or her mind does not just think wrong thoughts, but there is an anti-God mindset that is central to who and what they are. Wrong thinking is just the byproduct of wrong being. I'll say all of that so that if you're outside of Christ today, you need to know that your problem is not just you need to think different thoughts, you need to say different words, you need to do different actions. No, no, no. Your problem is more fundamental. It's actually frightening in the fact that you can't change the very essence of what needs to be changed. Now the hope is, is that God by His Spirit, through the work of Christ, can change that. But what Paul is describing here is a categorical difference between those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit. What we think about matters. Lots of things in the Bible 
tell us that we're to think right thoughts. But in this context, what Paul is talking about is not just our thinking. He's talking about the a direction of our will. He's talking about an orientation of our desires. For some of you, this is a really important place to think about. So what does it really mean to be a Christian? Especially if you are growing up in a Christian home or you grew up in a Christian home and you've known all of the right things to say and do for most of your life. And that's a great blessing, but it also means you've got to really be careful here. Because you could mistakenly assume that to know how you ought to live or to be able to say the right words because you've been conditioned to, to say all the right things so that people think you're a follower of Jesus, and maybe even you think you're a follower of Jesus. But at the end of the day, those who are genuinely converted are those who have had their wills broken who have come to an end of themselves and have, in effect, said, I cannot change myself. I cannot atone for my own sins. I throw myself at the mercy of Jesus and say, I am broken. I'm undone. I can't rescue my own redemption or my own soul. I need you to save me. And it is those people who have new hearts. There's something frightening about what's happening in Romans 8, and yet also glorious. What's frightening about it is that there's this part of us that's so fundamental to who we are that we can't change it. And what's glorious is that Christ can. So there's a mindset difference. There's also a destiny difference. Look at The next verse, verse 6. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I think what Paul is talking about here is that the end game of these two paths result in very different eternal destinies. When it comes to the flesh, it results in death. Eternal death. When it relates to the spirit, it results in life and peace. Paul wants us when we're talking about these categories, to not just treat them as academic categories, but to really feel the sense of urgency when we are considering the difference between the flesh and the spirit. You see, what he's talking about here is not just two realms of living or two different ways that are different for you to think about life. What he's talking about are two ways that are dangerously different. One way leads to eternal life. One way leads to eternal damnation. The text is made here to awaken us as to what is at stake. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. These two, these two paths could not be any more different. And then he talks about our relationship with God in verse 7. So the contrast is both there's a different mindset, there's a different destiny, and now third here, there's a different, and there's a contrast between relationship with God when you're in the flesh and relationship with God when you're in the spirit. Verse 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, and then he lists four things. It's hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. It cannot submit to God's law. And the flesh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what Paul talks about here is a fundamental problem with those who are in this category that are in the flesh. First, he says there is hostility to God. It says those who are in the flesh, the the mind that is set on the flesh, is hostile to God. What does it mean? It means that you are fundamentally resistant to God. 
And that may express itself in regards to resistant to authorities in your life, resistant to parents, resistant to teachers, resistant to, resistant to your boss. And there's just this fundamental in your soul resistance to anybody who would tell you what to do. And you need to know that the reason that that is in your soul is because your problem is not with your parents, it's not with your boss, it's not with your teacher, it's not with your coach. Your problem is with God. And those who are in the flesh have a fundamental resistance. They are hostile to anything that resembles God's authority or God himself. Secondly, there's a refusal to submit to God's law. It means that there's a refusal to do what God's law demands. I mean, fundamental in the life and the heart of every human being is this bias to not want to do what we're told to do. Those of you who have newborn babies and it's your first child it's a sweet innocent sort of season isn't it doesn't last long just don't want to discourage you but it's the reality you're not raising an angel it's a demon and you will believe that when that child looks at you and you say get in the car and they say no And then you're going to be surprised what comes out of you. Because you can't believe this little pipsqueak has the audacity to say no to me, right? So suddenly now we have a collision of very different worldviews. Or when, I've talked about this before, when you try and get your kids in the car seat and they learn early on that a great battleground is when you're trying to buckle that little, that little click seat in there and they arch their little backs. And if they had little spikes or spears, they'd use those too. But no, they're just going to use their, they're going to use their spinal column to tell you, I'm in charge at three and a half, right? So that, that's, that's children. And then you have more of them, and it just gets worse. So be blessed. That's why the Bible describes them as arrows, so you can get them out. So that's right. Never knew that verse applied like that, did you? Kids are coming home today. Why is there an arrow in my room? And you're like, the point is this, that there's a refusal, a fundamental refusal within us to obey God's law. It's, it, it is that flesh principle. It's not just what we do. Look, the problem is who fundamentally human beings are. Third, the text also tells us that we are powerless to obey. This is going to be a new category for some of you. We'll, we'll see it even further in Romans 9. And when we come to Romans 9, 10, and 11, you need to get ready for some new categories that are going to push the envelopes of your understanding of words like fair. And here's what it says. It says, indeed, it cannot, which, which means this, that God holds people morally responsible for their sins, even if they lack the power to do anything about it. Let me restate that. That's, that's going to be a new thought. Well, I'll explain what I mean by that in Romans 9. So you have to wait like eight weeks, but just hang on. That God holds people morally responsible for their sins, even if they lack the power to do anything about it. And just a hint, I'm going to show you in Romans 9 that there are categories that are way beyond our little categories of words like fair. Fourth, the text summarizes that they cannot please God. The tragic summary here is that they do not please God. Left to themselves, they're powerless, they are displeasing 
and they are under judgment. Now, why does Paul set up this stark comparison? Because, church, he wants you to understand the difference between the flesh and the spirit. And what I hope is that you could get in your minds just this sense of how radically altered the mindset is for those who have come to faith in Jesus. I don't know that I can illustrate it that well. Let me, let me try. Imagine that you're, a, I don't know how this will work out in, for a woman. I know how it works out for a man. So it's going to be very man-centric, okay? It's the best that I can do. But imagine that you're um, a man, and um, before you got married, you decorated your apartment, and you were, for unknown reasons to me, an Ohio State fan, okay? (laughs) So despite the arrogance of saying, the Ohio State University all the time, um, despite an odd mascot of a tree and a nut, um, you are an Ohio State fan. So you have an Ohio State flag that you hang. You saw it at Sports Authority, so you bought it, and you put it up in your living room. And you walk in the door, and you're like, that's awesome. And then you saw this Ohio State football, and it had, or a football helmet, and it had a lamp coming out of it. And, and it had a shade, and you click it once, and it goes white. You click it again, it goes red. And you're like, that's awesome. So you bought it, and you put it in your living room, and your buddies come over, and you're like, check out my Ohio State flag and my football. That's just, like, oh, that is cool, right? And then you met this wonderful, sweet girl. And then you got married. And you thought, I can't wait until we can find a place to hang my Ohio State flag in our living room. And she was like, no, 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 we, honey, we can't use that. That's not going to work. I'm like, what? What about, what about the, the Ohio State lamp? She's like, no, that's, that's not going to work either. And so when you got married, you, you put all that stuff away, you boxed it up, and had your little funeral for all your stuff. And, <laughs> and for the first couple of years after you were married, you walked by the sports authority, you, you saw the Ohio State flag, and for a moment you thought, oh, the, no, 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 I'm married. I, I can't put that in our living room. And, and so you saw that you thought, no, 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 no. But you still had that thought. And then years more went by, and, and pretty soon you're walking by Sports Authority, and you didn't even see the Ohio State flag anymore. And all of a sudden you saw a pottery barn, and you're like, cool. <laughs> and you're like, look at these awesome scented candles. <laughs> and the reality is a miracle has happened. And that is that your mind has shifted from sports authority memorabilia to smelly candles in the pottery barn because your status in life has changed and your affections and desires have strangely altered themselves. You see the connection? The idea is that when you walk in the Spirit, there are things in your life that after you come to faith in Christ, you never go back to. You never have those, you never have those desires, those inclinations, or there are other things that over the course of your lifetime, the more you walk by the sinful flag, the more you walk by the silly little helmet, the more you walk by those things and you choose other things, mm, the more ability you have to say no. And yet there are also other little things in our life that just never fully go away, those desires that we're always, always, always working on. So to walk in the Spirit, friends, is not just a list. It means a reorientation of our thinking and our affections and our longings that in some crazy way you love spiritual things whereas before you love fleshly things and the difference is so remarkable and in some respects even forgettable that you're so different in ways you can't even imagine that the old life seems like it's a completely different you. And the reason is, is because it is a completely different you. 
So what Paul is talking about here is not just a list. He's talking about a mindset shift that is cataclysmic in our core. Now, what does it mean that the Spirit is central in the life of the believer? I love what happens in verse 9. Verse 9 is, um, is one of my favorite verses now in Romans 8. Because he says, You, however, and he hasn't used the word you in chapter 8 yet. He's, he said things like, those who are in Christ, those who walk, those, those, those. And now he comes to verse 9, it's like he gets really personal. He's like, you, you, Mark, you, so it's very personal. So read that text as personal. You're not in the flesh. You personally are in the Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So what he talks about here in terms of the centrality of the Spirit are a few things. The first thing he talks about is the assurance that comes by the Spirit. He says, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So what he, what he says is this, that if Christ is in you, and if the Spirit of God is in you, then you belong to Jesus. It gives us the, the assurance not only that we have a different mindset, but what's more, that we have the personal presence of the Spirit of God, who is the presence of Christ dwelling among us. Again, that word dwell is another really important word, because previously, like in Romans 7, he talked about sin dwelling and struggle dwelling within us. And now he says, in chapter 8, you have the Spirit dwelling within you. So while the believer may struggle with indwelling sin, there is a powerful new presence. The believer is no longer left to struggle alone. So for the rest of the week, you can walk in the struggles that you have. Listen to me. You do not walk alone in that struggle. And the assurance in this text is is that Christ, because you belong to him, has sent the spirit of the risen Christ in you to help you in the midst of your life. Christ and the Spirit are so linked together that you cannot possess one without the other. And because of the Spirit, you begin saying yes to the right things, not just because you have to, but because you want to. So, I was picking up some stuff at Kroger yesterday, and I'm walking in with my grocery list of things i got to get, about four or five things. And I walk by this little thing of flowers. I stop. And I look at them, and I'm like, Sarah would love those. So I grabbed them, put them in the basket, took all my groceries in, came home, set them on the counter. She saw them, and she was like, oh, you know, little, oh, I love that, oh, that's why I do it. Oh, that's what I like. So and she's like, oh, you got me flowers. I said, yeah, I did. Now, here comes the question. Why? And she didn't say it like that. She said, oh, honey, that's sweet. Why'd you do that? Now, the wrong answer in the moment is, oh, they were cheap, right? <laughs> Cheap. I was like, cheap and giving them away. Wrong answer. Um, second wrong answer. Why'd you do that? Oh, because I, I love purple and yellow flowers. I just think they're lovely. We need to have these flowers in our home. I mean, she would have been like, you know, taking the flowers at me, right? So she would not have done that. But there was an opportunity. I said, I just saw them. And here's what I said. I saw the flowers and I thought of you. See, I saw the flowers, I thought of you. The flowers and my wife are connected because of a change of status in my life called marriage. 
And so this is how this can help you when you open the Scriptures tomorrow, is that you open them up and you read them, and there's not just a have to, but a want to. A longing to say, I want to, I want to see Christ. I want to, 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 to behold Him. I want to grow spiritually. That there's this, this longing. And if you, if you don't have that longing, you need to stop and say, Spirit, would you help me and rekindle my desires to do what's right? Because the assurance is, is that the Spirit dwells with you. Here's the second thing. Not only that he gives assurance, but he also gives life. Look at verse 10. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. I, I, I don't think he's talking about this in the eschatological sense or in an end times or resurrection sense. I think that comes in verse 11. I think verse 10 is about practical, everyday living. That's why he said the body is dead. We feel that. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I think that's linked back to Romans 8 and verse 1. What does it mean? What does he mean by that? He means that if the Holy Spirit controls us and takes over our mindset, then there's life in my mouth. There's life in my thinking. There's life in my relationships. There's life in careers, in singleness. There's life in suffering. There's life in giving. There's life in hardship. There's life in everything in which we live because the Spirit brings life to everything. So on Monday, I had lunch with Pastor Corey Johnson, who's, with our help, planted Nehemiah Bible Church. I got to tour their new church facility that had been given to them. Got to see a number of our people volunteering as they were distributing food. Got to hear the gospel that was being presented to those people and hear what God is doing in that church. And it just, as I left, my heart was just overflowing with joy because out of this building and in this area of the city has come in life. I mean, there's people and there's life that's coming. And then I went over to Purposeful Design, a, a little... A, furniture company that one of our elders has started to provide jobs for people in the Brookside neighborhood. And I'm talking to a guy who's come out of a a difficult lifestyle and he's now repented and turned his life over to Jesus. He's working, making stuff and, 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 and just hearing about his life in Jesus. And I left the building seeing wood products and the job creation and thinking that's life. I mean, life doesn't just happen in here. Life is now brought into the community where in the middle of suffering or loneliness or you have a difficult boss at work or bad family dynamics, it's the spirit that goes with you. So in the midst of all of those things that you're dealing with, life can come out of them. So you got a bad marriage? You ask, Holy Spirit, help me have life in the midst of this bad marriage. you got kids that aren't following Jesus and you're just so burdened about it, you pray, God, give me life in the midst of this death. You fill in the blank. The point is, is that the Spirit is life because of righteousness. This is so hopeful and I think so transformational. It's why Paul will talk at the end of Romans 8 about suffering. And then finally, there's hope. Hope that comes in verse 11. And this is eschatological and times hope if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The idea is this, that the power by which the Father raised the Son, that very power, the power of the Holy Spirit, now dwells in you. 
And the question is whether or not you believe that to be true or not. Whether or not you believe that the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead also dwells in you. And what he talks about here is what the end goal is going to be. That there's going to come a day when the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that gave life to Jesus' dead body, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, what he's saying here is the final word on sin and death in terms of our existence has not been said yet. And that's really important. When I wake up this morning and hear that somewhere in Nigeria, somebody strapped an explosive vest to a 10-year-old child and put him into a place where 20 people were blown up and killed. And I think, what in the world is wrong with this world? And I hear what's happening in Paris and all over the world and all the conversations that's happening. It reminds me, and I'm so grateful that I know there is coming a day when this broken earth will look so differently because the King of Kings will come and he will speak the word. He will speak the word over the earth and graves will give up their dead and death will be no more, and a definitive statement will be made to the entire created order that death has been swallowed up in victory. That day, I can't wait for that day to come. And what and what this text tells us is the same spirit that empowered the inauguration of that through the resurrection of Jesus is the same spirit who is ready to do that on the earth at the command of the Savior when he comes again. So what Paul gives us, friends, is a comprehensive vision of what it means to be in the Spirit. So do you see why relegating this to a list is just kind of silly? Does it include things that we think about? Does it include things we do? Does it include things that we read? Absolutely, but it is so much more than that. It involves not only the contrast, but also the, centra- the contrast, the contrast of the flesh and the spirit, but the centrality of the spirit. J.I. Packer, who's written one of the best books on the Holy Spirit, it's called Keep in Step with the Spirit. We've got some copies in our resource area. He says this, that to be led by the spirit is not a revealing to the mind directives hitherto unknown. It is rather an impelling of our wills to pursue and practice and hold fast that sanctity, or think of that word as reality, whose terms we already know. What does he mean by that? He means that walking in the Spirit is not like you learn in something new, like a new thing to do. It means that you come to understand who you really are. It means that you come to embrace the reality of what God has done for you in Christ, that you embrace your change of mind that has happened in Jesus, that you embrace the change of heart, your outlook that has been altered, and you bring that life-giving, changed mindset into every arena in which you live. It means that walking in the Spirit is not so much a list as it is a vision. A vision of what it means to have everything about you fundamentally changed so that you bring a new presence of life into everything in which you live. So my call to you today is not that you would now close your minds to the subject and go, well, that was nice, and be done with what it means to live and walk by the Spirit. Instead, my exhortation to you is, now go live this in the world. 
Go work this out in your quiet time. Like, this was so helpful to me. Saturday morning, I read Psalm 119, and because of my exposure to the spirit of life in this text, I saw new things in Psalm 119 that I would have not seen had I not come with the orientation of the spirit-mindedness. And I want that to affect your reading and your times as a family and your work and the temptations that you come in contact with as you as you have temptations that you're like, no, that's not me anymore. I don't have to do that or look at that or say that or feel that i don't have to be beholden to that because i have the spirit of life within me this is not the end the sermon is not the end of this topic but it rather should be the beginning of a new way of thinking and for you to figure out how to work this out in your life it is as mysterious and broad as the differences are in our backgrounds and our experiences so you have to figure out how to walk in the Spirit. How we're going to end today is we're going to sing. We're going to sing this chorus together, and I want you to make this a prayer. Where you would just say the words of this song through music, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And as we sing, I want you just to simply meditate on how is it that the Spirit of God needs to be at work in your life in a new way, in light of this new condition that Paul has described for us in Romans chapter 8. Let's sing together. And Father, we pray that you would do that this week in our lives. For brothers and sisters who are under the weight of suffering, would you bring life to their season of hardship? to those who are in very hard relationships where they feel like they're giving 100% and someone else is barely giving anything, would you give them life? For children that are away from you, we pray that you would give them life and ask you to help us not to despair or to be angry. Father, for seasons in our life that don't make sense or are disappointing or the ways in which our lives have not turned out like we had hoped, we ask for life, the life of contentment. Pray that our times this week in the Word would be filled with new insights because of life. Pray that our tongues would be loosed to share blessing and gospel witness with others because of the life of the Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we want you now to to fill us afresh and anew so we could be your people. And thank you for the assurance that we belong to Jesus. And so we commit that we're going to live in light of this for another week. So help us. Because we are weak, we, quick, we quickly forget, and we discourage easily. And so we need your help, Holy Spirit. Come, please. And friends, if there's another need in your life, maybe to come to Christ today or something else. You need someone to pray over you. There'll be people up here at the front who would love to pray for you and with you. So, Father, thank you for your care for us so evidently clear in texts like these. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Walk in the Spirit this week, dear friends. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday, okay? Love you.